Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another weekly episode of fun, fascinating, fact-filled Dirty Talk podcast. I'm T.C. Rollins. I'm Rain DeGray. And this is an even-numbered episode, so that means it is... Not as odd as the special episodes that go to our exclusive Patreon ears. That is correct. The patrons get all the oddball episodes. Ooh. So if you want to join us for those, you just go to patreon.com backslash dirty talk podcast and you'll hear us there every week. You get 50% more podcast. I want to start this week talking about Russia and Kazakhstan. Now, I know we try not to get too political about things, but right. I found out this week about some things that have been going on with Russia and Kazakhstan, which just aren't cool. It doesn't involve aliens. No, it doesn't involve aliens. And it doesn't involve Russia trying to invade Ukraine or the protests that are going on in Kazakhstan. Well, it does have to do with protests in Kazakhstan. and. Russia did invade Ukraine back in 2014. And this is something that happened back in 2014. So it kind of is connected in a way. Go on. I'm listening. Do you know what they did? What Russia, Belarus, and Kazakhstan did back in 2014, which in my opinion is just kind of a shitty thing to do. Something with goats. Not something with goats. It has something to do with frilly undergarments. They made it a offense for their soldiers to wear panties. That would be interesting. I don't know how many Russian soldiers are wearing frilly panties, but I could only hope. So maybe all these poor gentlemen all stacked up at the border of Ukraine are just sitting around in their fancy frilly panties. You never know what's happening underneath that uniform. Well, based on what I'm about to tell you, I don't think that is necessarily a possibility. Okay. The suspense is killing me. Give it to me. I just recently found out that back in 2014, they essentially banned sexy underwear. For everybody or for soldiers? Well, no, just for everybody in, in Russia, Every- Belarus, and Kazakhstan. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. They, Russia banned sexy underwear in 2014? Yes. Frilly, I- sexy, lacy panties. I, what? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been looking everywhere to see if this is still the case. I can't find anything. So if we have any Russian listeners, I want to know if there is a black market for sexy, frilly, lacy panties in Russia. There would have to be. Well, yeah, because people want them. So what, yes. what you're doing on a daily basis, taking sexy lingerie pictures, uh-huh. would be, I guess, illegal in Russia? Anything that I do would be illegal in Russia. What is their logic in 2014 to ban sexy underwear? Supposedly, it was for women's health. Uh, 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 They passed this law back Uh in 2014 that all clothing that uh, came in contact with skin had to contain at least 6% cotton. They said that this regulation was designed to protect consumers against synthetic garments, which didn't absorb enough moisture and might cause skin problems. So 
from what the Russians are saying is like, this is for your own good. But a lot of the frilly, sexy, lacy panties are made from synthetic fibers. And most lingerie has less than 4% cotton in it. Most of it's like rayon or nylon or something else like that. So Russians and also the Belarusians and the Kazakhstanis, because they're all in this trading block, said, hey, from the middle of the summer of 2014, you can no longer manufacture, sell, or import any of these garments that are less than 6% cotton, which essentially meant that there was a blanket ban on frilly underwear. All they have to do is remanufacture their product and get 6% cotton in, which should be better for your skin anyway. Some of the lingerie I wear is deeply uncomfortable and has zero cotton in it, and you can tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there was obviously uproar about this when people found out that they were going to be losing some of their sexy underpants. And, and sure, they could try and retool some of the stuff, but it's also difficult to make it look as sexy and frilly without some of these artificial ingredients in it. As it turned out in Kazakhstan, when this regulation was announced, they had protests. I guess there were, you could call them panty riots. And at one police station, there were 30 women who were protesting in Kazakhstan. They were wearing lace underwear on their heads and shouting freedom to panties. All 30 of them were arrested by the police for disorderly conduct just because they wanted to have their sexy, sexy underwear. Wow. You know what? I am not such a gangster that I have gotten arrested for protesting my right to wear frilly underwear. Mm -hmm. That is commitment to the sexy. I'm I'm impressed. Yeah. I, I applaud them standing up for your beliefs and for your rights, standing up against those godless communists trying to steal my underwear from my cold, dead hands. Uh, There has been some workarounds right after this was enacted. There was another story I read about somebody who started 3D printing sexy underwear. So they're printing it out of nylon material. Uh, Where's the cotton, though? There's there's no cotton in there, but it's it's 3D printed, and it looks more like a bikini. I'm gonna probably use the the image of the lady wearing this 3D printed like shell looking lingerie as the, sounds... as the promo image for this podcast. Okay. It's, it's nice. It looks, it looks uncomfortable. I wouldn't wear it on a daily basis, but it looks like if you were looking for an evening of romance, this could do the trick if you couldn't get your hands on any black market panties. I don't believe it. I don't believe it because I got a request to do a Princess Leia custom and I got the most expensive, totally accurate slave Princess Leia outfit. And it was 3D printed plates, you know, the skirt she wears when Mm -hmm. she's captured by Jabba the Hutt. And the people that did the 3D printing did not think of the fact that the human body is not straight as a piece of paper. It curved. Mm -hmm. They, They did not print out, 3D print out these front and back decorative plates that the skirt hangs off of curved to the human body. It's completely straight and stiff and the skirt doesn't work. It's so much tension, the skirt won't stay on because the plates keep pulling it off. If the plate isn't curved, I can't get it to stay on my body. 
I don't see how that would work with panties. Uh, it doesn't really look necessarily like underwear. Uh, yeah. It looks more like fake shells and yes. beads that, that then they stringed together. Right. Okay. But this is their X. workaround. If you want some okay. sexy looking panties and you have a 3D printer, you can 3D print out some shell design wow. and stitch it together um, and then put it on your body. And it's like I said, it's not for daily wear no. or daily use. No. I don't know why the Russian government felt the need that they had to regulate underwear in this way. Like people can decide if I'm wearing some underwear that's causing me chafing and it's making me uncomfortable, maybe I won't wear that. Or maybe I just have special underwear, this special asbestos, rayon, whatever, nylon underwear that I only wear for special occasions. And I might be wearing it for all of three minutes before it winds up on the floor. And that's what it's meant for. Because nothing is as regulated as the female body, in particular, the vagina. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which. Yes. I've got some vagina regulation for you. <laughs> Go ahead and regulate that vag. What do a breastfeeding workshop, pants for postpartum discomfort, and consent education have in common? Well, I mean, I suppose I might need some consent education after I go to the breastfeeding workshop while wearing my postpartum pants. How about pelvic pain, menopause, menstruation, and fertility? Enlighten me. They are all goods and services banned by Facebook. Oh, you mean meta. Oh, right. I mean meta. Yes, they got in trouble. They've changed their name, and we have to completely forget that they were ever Facebook because they're a completely different company now. A whole new company. Who yes. knew? Well, Meta is up to the same shit. Meta has worked very hard at becoming the gatekeepers. They are a very big social media site, and they can pick and choose what they think is naughty. Mm -hmm. If you're a business or you do goods or services, you pretty much have no choice but to be on Facebook. I mean, if Facebook or Instagram, but guess what? They're run by the same people. Yeah, yeah. As a social media manager, companies that I work for, I can let you know whenever you're on a social media platform, they keep telling you, you have to boost your posts. You have to buy ads. If you want anyone to see what it is you're trying to sell, you got to boost that post or we're just going to make sure that no one sees it. Yeah, it disappears. You got to play by their rules or you're not going to get any eyeballs. But when someone tries to play by the rules and they have the audacity to provide a goods or service that includes anything to do with women's sexual health, menstruation, fertility, pelvic pain, menopause, they say that these ads contain adult content. Mm -hmm. But this is the thing that really chaps my ass. The ads that are discriminated and rejected are not evenly applied. Guess what is okay? Um, prostate milking advertisements. <laughs> learn how to instead of instead of breast milk, learn to milk that prostate, man. ED ads and condoms. Okay, so, so along those same lines, yeah. If it, the penis is not quite as discriminated against as the vulva, mm -hmm. it just isn't. And I understand a platform being like, we don't want that bad sexual adult content, but if it really is a good or service that is helping female-bodied people. And they're like, no, we still don't care. Uh -huh. You just had a baby? Ah, well, we don't care. You don't get to have any sort of ads for pants that would help you be in less physical pain. You're going through menopause and you want information? Tough. 
But if you want to know how to get your dick really hard, we got a thing yes. for you. We can help you out there. I I often bring up the topic of censorship as it's someone that censorship affects me mm-hmm. deeply on the on a daily basis. But it's also very disconcerting for me to see how much censorship is affecting all of our platforms and how unevenly applied that censorship is. Are you saying that it's borderline sexist? I am saying that. Yes, I am. You know what this makes me think of? Penises? Well, it's a, a recent study about penises. And, and Oh. And I don't know if you know this or not. There was a psychological study that just was published in the journal Psychology of Men and Masculinities. I think you already were aware of this. And this is one of these scientific studies that you hear and go, yeah, duh, no shit. What this study found was that men who believe their level of masculinity is closely tied to their penis and its size are more likely to endorse sexist beliefs. I am so not shocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said, once in a while we come across these scientific studies where you're like, holy shit, you really needed to prove this scientifically, something that everyone already knows. But it's good to have the numbers on your side. Breaking news, water is wet. Yes. What they did for the study is they took a diverse sample of 735 heterosexual men who ranged in age from 16 to 84. They found that the endorsement of penis-centric masculinity was positively associated with the endorsement of hostile sexism. They found that men agreed with statements such as, men with bigger penises are more masculine, and my manhood is strongly tied to my penis. The more they agreed with statements like that, the more they agreed with statements like, women seek to gain power by getting control over men, and women exaggerate problems they have at work. So based on their findings, yes, there is this correlation between how closely they identify their dick and its size and how masculine they feel. They're not saying that they this is the cause of their sexism, but that there is a strong correlation between this. The size of your dick has absolutely nothing to do with how masculine you are. And I'm speaking as someone who's been on the receiving end of an awful lot of dick. Mm. Some masculine men have had some wee little willies. It doesn't, there's no correlation whatsoever. No, it's not. It's uh, The only correlation is the one you choose to habitate within the space between your two ears. Correct. What the research also found was that penis-centric masculinity was a predictor of sexual narcissism. So the men who strongly endorsed penis-centric masculinity and thought like, okay, my masculinity is based on how big and hard and everything my penis is, like everything about my masculinity is just controlled by my dick, tended to be less satisfied with the appearance of their genitals and were more likely to desire validating reactions to their penis from women, such as awe and excitement. So it'd be like, this is this might be why all those dick pics 
are going out there because they're expecting like, look how big and masculine I am. They're just trying to like demonstrate to you by sending you a picture of their dick. Like, see, see me? I'm strong and masculine because my dick's all big. And they're expecting this like awe and excitement back. Me like, oh my, oh, you are such a big burly man, you. Look at the size of that. <sighs> Anyways, something we already knew, but now is backed <laughs> up by science, is that guys that put too much emphasis on the size of their junk are more likely to also be fairly sexist. I could have told you that. <laughs> I have some science for you. All right, science me up, baby. Uh, it's uh, it involves death, though <sighs> science and death. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sex, sex, right. and science and death. Bring this episode down a little bit. No, I, I mean it depends on how you look at it. Okay. A re- a recent study at the Journal of J A M A Cardiology. Hmm? more science for you, we like Mm. studies, has indicated that people younger than expected sometimes die of heart attacks during or immediately after sex. Mm, Which is to say, we often think that if you're going to go out doing the dirty, that you tend to be an out-of-shape, middle-aged man. Mm. Science has proven that is not true. People under middle age may be concerned about the risk for sudden death during sexual intercourse, also known as CSD, which is sudden cardiac death when a person drops dead within 12 hours of seemingly being perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. Now, this can happen to any age in any gender where someone can seemingly appear to be healthy and then suddenly drop dead. Do you remember that kid that we went to high school with who died at 16 on the basketball courts? Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. went to middle school with him, and there was a couple of times where he would just pass out of school because he had a bad heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heart condition. Yeah, yeah. Totally went out. He did not die banging, which he probably would have preferred. I believe that he- Banging versus basketball? Yeah. <laughs> basketball is what took him out. After analyzing 6,847 CSD cases, the study found that 17 had occurred within one hour of sexual intercourse. The correlation. Right. The, the findings indicate that younger people with a history of heart problems should be aware of the dangers associated with sex, which triggers a surge of dopamine and adrenaline. Well, that's why we have sex is because it triggers a surge of dopamine and adrenaline. Yes, that is entirely correct. However, when those hormones are released, they can cause cardiac complications in vulnerable individuals. Okay. So you heard it here first. It's a PSA from the Dirty Talk podcast. If you have cardiac complications, be careful of that dopamine and that adrenaline. Or if you want to go out on top. Or on the bottom. There's nothing wrong with going out on the bottom. Whatever makes you happiest, uh, just do do be careful. What we're what we're trying to say is that death by sexy times is not the exclusive jurisdiction of out of shape middle aged men. It's more of an equal opportunity offender. As long as you have pre existing heart conditions, less sexist than men obsessed with penis size. Mm-hmm. Okay, I suppose that that could also happen during masturbation as well. Because oh, yes. it's, it's probably not going to be as much of a risk-taking 
venture just because you don't get as much cardio during the masturbation, but it is possible you get your heart up a little bit and you do get a flood of dopamine and adrenaline when you ejaculate or when you orgasm in any other way. (laughs) Yes. Solo activities tend to be uh, more effective and Mm -hmm. to the point mission accomplished uh, less exertion. Mm -hmm. Unless you do it after a run. Or, right. or while running, which is extremely difficult. Challenging to really reach that point of no return. If you're at the point where you have a bad heart condition and you feel the need to run while masturbating, <laughs> you de- you deserve what you get. I'd send us a video. I want to watch. <laughs> I want to see a video of you running while masturbating. I'm sure it's a thing. I'm how, sure it's. I'm sure it's a they, thing. Wait, wait. So wait. How are they supposed to film themselves while jacking off and running at the same time? Have you ever heard of a tripod? With a, with the, what, what, who's carrying the tripod? You're running. You start running. You're running away from the tripod. I've heard or of a tripod. Just, or just panning. I don't know. I I use them every day. No, you cannot set your camera on a tripod and then start running and jacking off. You're going to be out of frame. That's my why. Friend. That's why wise men always say, if you're going to go out <laughs> jogging and masturbating, it's important to always bring a friend. <laughs> Is that what? Hold on a moment. I've never heard that one. It's true. Yeah. I think, okay. it, I think it was Confucius. I might have read it in a fortune cookie somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. My lucky numbers were like 4, 8, 63, 32. Not 69. Not 69. Oh, just 42. Just, yeah. Well, no, that's the answer. Of course. To everything. While we're on the topic of sperm. Yeah. yeah masturbating. Right. Masturbating. Right. I've got one. I've got, I've got some more sperm for you. Okay. Are you keeping it in a cup? No. And that is the problem. Is that you don't have your sperm in a cup? Did you know Mm -hmm. that sperm donors in Japan operate in a gray zone? Oh, so like just like Russian frilly underwear? It's just like a black market of sperm donors? Correct. Japan has no comprehensive law that spells out rules for assisted reproductive technology. Unlike countries such as the United States, where we are recording, Japan does not have an established system of commercial sperm banks. Uh-huh. Because they don't have commercial sperm banks, they have medical institutions which steer the practice of sperm donations, and they'll amass samples needed. But it's not where we think of like you could go to a sperm bank and you could donate on the regular. Japan doesn't have things like that. Uh-huh. So what they do have are this whole underground system of people that uh, will meet up. Hey, we need some sperm, and then age. <laughs> I happen to have some sperm. <laughs> I, I happen to have some sperm. <laughs> Lucky that, you that I could hook you up with. Uh-huh. We've covered uh, sperm donors that that operate outside of sperm banks before on mm-hmm. this podcast. They are above the law. <laughs> They they can have recommendations. They can they they, they consider it a, a civic duty. It's mm-hmm. very noble. You want to have a baby. I happen to have all of this excess baby batter. I will happily hook you up. And there are different levels of how you access this baby batter. Now the most removed way would be I'm gonna put sperm in a cup, mm-hmm. and then I I will meet with you, and then you need to get the sperm in a cup, take hoover it out with like a turkey baster and then squirt it inside yourself. Mm -hmm. 
But at best, that's like a six-hour window where the sperm is cooling and losing its effectiveness. Mm -hmm. So when you do these underground and gray area sperm donations, the the most effective way is the natural way. The tried and true old-fashioned method? Yes, yes. And these men derive no pleasure from it whatsoever. Nor would I. They are here to give you a baby. I'm just complete altruism on my part. In in some cases, the the partner, the married, uh, other side of the married equation will be in the room holding their partner's hand while the donation happens. Just to ensure that there's no hanky-panky? I, for a bonding thing, like we're doing this together and I'm going to look into your eyes while this person is thrusting on top of me and giving me the baby batter, mm. but it's not about them. It's about the two of us. Yes. Sometimes your spouse Pumping is not away in, in a purely clinical way. Clinical, very clinical, very mm. above board. Yes. There was a, it recently came out that there was a woman who was married, a Japanese woman, and she was unable to conceive with her husband, mm. and they recruited and found a sperm donor. She had intercourse with the sperm donor 10 times and succeeded in having a baby. The sperm donor claimed to be single, mm. Japanese, and highly educated. Yes. She found out too late to have an abortion that this man had lied. He was married he was Chinese and he was not highly educated. Hmm. She was unable to abort the baby and she had the child and gave the child up for adoption because she did not want a half Chinese baby. It's not clear to me how she found out all this information and how someone was able to successfully snow her 10 separate times. The individual must have spoken completely fluent Japanese. Mm -hmm. And now there is a, a, a child in the foster care adoption system who was rejected solely on the basis of its nationality. I sympathize for the child because it's stuck in the middle of right. all this nonsense. And it's going to have to suffer its life. I mean, hopefully it'll get adopted by a loving, caring family that doesn't care that it's a half Japanese, half Chinese kid, and that it's just a human being and these right. constructs of nationality and race are just those constructs, fictions that we've created for ourselves, and will go on living its life in peace. So my question is, do you blame the fact that there is no structured method of sperm donation in Japan? A hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Yeah. When the thing is, it, humans are going to do what they want to do no matter what. Here in America, we can attest that the second we had prohibition and said you can't drink, people started dying of bathtub gin and going blind because they're like, we're going to do it anyway. Yes. You, the Russians said we can't have any frilly panties if they don't have at least 6% cotton and people start start <laughs> doing crotch. 3D printing of, of, of weird crusty plates to put on their body. Like They're going to do it anyway. Have a licensed, regulated system of commercial accessible sperm banks because mm. otherwise you have people meeting in hotel rooms and randomly banging someone and then finding out they weren't what they claimed and giving an unwanted child into the adoption system. Yeah. So yes, yes, that is my takeaway. That is what I'm here to share with you mm. is make it safe, 
make it above board. Humans are going to do what they want to anyway. Don't make it harder for them. Make it easier and and more effective and mm. s- safer for them. Yeah. Uh, what I did learn recently is that it is more expensive if you come to a sperm donation service with a donor that you've picked out than going and choosing from their pre-selected people. Why would it be more expensive? It's because of FDA regulations, because if you go through a known licensed sperm facility, they do all the testing of everything. And it usually costs you a few hundred dollars to get donor sperm. Whereas if you have a buddy that you want to use as a sperm donor, it could cost up to like $2,500 for them to put them through all the required testing for Mm. the sperm donation. I mean, you could make a deal outside of the system, but if you go about it through the system, like especially if you're doing in vitro fertilization or something like that, and you'd be like, well, we have the sperm donor for that. They have to go through all this testing. I wasn't aware when I was looking into sperm donation in the US that less than 1% of the people that apply to be sperm donors are accepted. Really? Yeah. It's not this easy thing that you can walk in off the street and be like, hey, give me a couple hundred bucks. I'm just going to deposit this with you and wait for somebody to come along and want my sperm. You have to go through an extremely rigorous testing process. At the very minimum, you have to have a college education. So that will Mm. eliminate a lot of people right there. The sperm banks also require a huge slew of psychological tests. Oh. You have to do a three-generation review of your family medical history. You have to do multiple physical evaluations, regular STD testing, which you have to go through every three months while you're donating your sperm. You have to do constant blood draws. You have to do expanded genetic testing to look for all sorts of different rare genetic conditions. You also have to go through the psychological evaluations, which often include essays that you have to write about yourself and what other people think of you and also complete open-ended art assignments so that they can (sighs) judge you on your psychological your makeup. Art? Yeah. So you, you're like, we want you to draw us a picture of this thing or, you know, draw us this picture of whatever you want. So th- you have to do wow. art assignments. It's a whole process to go through this. And even when you are accepted to do it, you get it like a hundred bucks a pop to go in and jerk off in the cup. I had no idea it was that elaborate. Yeah. Well, a part of it is the sperm banks themselves, they need to protect themselves, right? Because if you're going to this professional sperm bank and you get bad sperm and your baby comes out and has this genetic defect and be like, you didn't check that this person had this specific genetic defect, right? Right, right. They need to cover their own ass and say, Mm. we did all this rigorous testing. We looked back three generations, all these things we did in order to guarantee that this sperm is top notch (laughs) sperm this is this is the creme de la creme of the cream yeah i wasn't aware so so you whoever sitting there listening to this you could be a sperm donor but it is a long process and if 100 people are listening to this episode right now one of you 
maybe one of you could actually be accepted as a sperm donor. You could pass. You have all the qualifications. I do, except that I am shooting blanks because as we covered in previous episodes years back, I had a vasectomy because I have a child and I do not want any more children. So They They wouldn't let me film it. I know the guy wouldn't let you film it. I know you really wanted to, but you were in the room and you you got the bird's eye view over his shoulder of him snipping into my balls. I was very close to the tubes being cut. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I don't want any more children. I don't want to have to put hot sauce in my condoms after I have (laughs) sex. So I got I got those tubes clipped. Yes. All right. That's why you wouldn't qualify. You would be part of the ninety nine. I would be part of the 99 because they would take one look at me and say, well, you don't even have the very basics of what we're trying to collect here. I did also learn that the professionals in the sperm field and in, you know, when you're dealing with male ejaculate, they have this acronym STEVE, which is the acronym for the path the sperm takes through the reproductive system. What does STEVE stand for? STEVE? I'm so glad you asked. Stands for seminiferous tubules, epididymis, vas deferens, and ejaculatory duct. So if you ever want to remember, well, what what path does all this semen take through the reproductive tract? Just remember your buddy Steve. Yes, sure. I have that memorized right now. Lockdown. Yes, of course. Steve is easier to say. Oh, yeah. I know how it travels through your cock. Steve. Steve. That's how your that's how your sperm gets out the dick, <laughs> Steve. Right. I also learned that it is nearly impossible to remain anonymous as a sperm donor now. That's one of the issues with Japan is that they the one of the reasons that they have uh, such issues is that they have no anonymity. Mm-hmm. And sperm donors like we don't want to be tracked down. We want more privacy, which is why they're doing this gray market. Well, even with the gray market, there still isn't the guarantee of anonymity. What they have found is across the board, there's a rise in consumer DNA tests, right? You you and I can yeah. go, we get the swab, do yeah. our 23andMe, get our, do our Ancestry.com. And a lot of people, including my daughter's mom, found family that she didn't even know she had just by doing 23andMe testing. Mm-hmm. So since this is now widely commercially available and so cheap, if you were born from sperm donation and didn't even know it and you went and got one of these tests, you can say, oh, hey, this is weird. It doesn't match up to what I thought my lineage was. And there's plenty of websites you can go online and share your information with, and they will match you up with people that are likely close relatives. So it's easier and easier now for people to find any sperm donors. Once they're, once they're old enough, they can say, oh, I'm just going to take one of these tests and I'll automatically the AI oh, will pop right. out and be like, oh, by the way, it looks like you are like a 90% match to this person. And it also can be used to solve crime. Yes. And it can be used to identify serial killers. And rapists. And rapists. There was also a law that was passed in the US in 2011 that says when a child conceived through the assisted reproduction of sperm donation, when they are at least 18 years old, upon request, they have to be provided with the medical history information of the donor. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, 
information that could easily identify whoever the donor was because it's it's medical necessity even if they've gone through all this process of like we've tested you for genetic defects and everything like that once you're 18 if i want family history for medical reasons then they are legally required to be able to provide this medical history and you you can be identified quite simply through a lot of this stuff so even if you thought you could go and just drop some cum in a cup and walk away no it doesn't work that way no 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 it does not work that way. The most interesting thing I found in the modern sperm collection. <laughs> Do go on. You only want the best and most quality sperm, I would say, right? If you are doing something like in vitro fertilization, you want only the best and most high quality of sperm. You want that white gold. Yeah, yes. So how would you go about ensuring that that sperm is the tip-top best of the spermy sperms? Strain it through cheesecloth. No. You don't strain it through cheesecloth. Okay, I'll tell you the method that they were previously using for this. They would take the sperm and they would spin it in a centrifuge. They would get the sperm dizzy. Yeah, yeah, they get the it's like a drunk test, right? Yeah. <laughs> they get the sperm dizzy and see who could pass the sobriety test. Yes. Kind of, kind of. So they would take all the sperm and they would spin it real fast in a centrifuge to force it all down, like creating like a whirlpool effect to force all the sperm down to the bottom. And then whatever sperm swam up to the top the fastest, there was like, okay, that's obviously the best sperm. They're strong swimmers. We're going to use those sperm. Cream of the crop. So they used a centrifuge as opposed to cheesecloth. Yes, but there is a better way. Can you guess what the better way is? Two layers of cheesecloth. No, no, two. The Sperm Olympics. Do they have little barbells? No, they do not have little barbells. What they have created, though, at the University of Toronto is... An obstacle course. An obstacle course. I I guessed right. How do you do a sperm obstacle obstacle course? Oh, you want an explanation now? I, I Is that do. What, no, I'm just going to leave you with that. Okay, everybody, it's great talking to you this week. A, we we thank you for joining us. Okay, okay, okay. The sperm obstacle course. Okay, okay, okay. The sperm obstacle course. Okay, the sperm obstacle course is no bigger than your thumbnail, and essentially looks like a computer chip. Right? It's got all those little lines and things on it. If you've ever looked at like a CPU or anything like that, right? It just looks like it's got lots of printed, weird little printed lines on it. But it's an obstacle course for sperm. So they send the sperm in one way and there's all sorts of like dead ends and alleys and everything like that. On the other side of the obstacle course, they have a fluid which essentially acts like sticky stuff for sperm. So once they can get through the obstacle course, it sticks them in place. So they have found that they put the sperm in the obstacle course and then they capture the sperm that is actually able to make it out to the end. Then they use AI processing of that sperm to determine what the best sperm out of all the sperm that has made it to the end of the obstacle course is. And then they take that one sperm and put it with the egg because you don't want to run the risk. You have all these millions of sperm that can come out in one load, right? You only want the finest, healthiest, like Michael Phelps of sperm, which can swim through the obstacle course in the best time. They have also found that the DNA of the sperm that has been able to make it through the obstacle course has a lower fragmentation rate of DNA 
which means that it could possibly be a lot better than these other f- sperm. So you're so you're weeding out all the dumb sperm, all the lazy sperm, all the genetically defected sperm, and you're only getting this best sperm. And the winner of the sperm Olympics is what they call it, wins the prize of being able to fertilize an egg. So if you successfully get your way through the maze, you have a chance of becoming a baby. Yep. That's what you win when you participate in the (laughs) sperm Olympics. But of course, when I found out that there were sperm obstacle courses, I needed to learn a lot more about that. That is the future. Right I had now. The, the future is sperm obstacle courses. Yes. I had no idea. And if I still had any, I would get myself one of these and then I would start placing bets. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's going to be the future of online betting is oh. we're going to set one of these up with a little tiny micro camera and stuff. Uh-huh. And, you know, we'll, I'm sure people will like, I mean, it's unfortunate because you can't really like get the purebred sperm. They only probably will, you know, they're one, good for one go and that's it. So it's kind of hard to handicap, but we can start running sperm races and uh, start taking some bets here, you know, a little side hustle for the Duty Talk podcast. There's no tripod involved with this. It was the best sperm coming from the people that are masturbating while racing? Obviously, because those are the super fast sperm. They've learned on the fly, right? <laughs> so if you want to if you want to like join <laughs> like it's not necessarily like sperm fight club because we don't talk uh, about that. No, no. No, no. Not here. But 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 you know, if you want to join our new sperm racing league, let us know. <laughs> Get out there, start running, start masturbating. Take some video, bring a friend, and you too could be part of next year's Dirty Talk podcast, Sperm Olympics. Oh, you we will get take to be all the bets. judge. We will take all comers. Uh-huh. We, huh? Hi-yo. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, on that note, uh-huh. wow, I have learned so much tonight. You're welcome. God, God damn. I did. It, 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 I, I'm. I, full, my head is full of knowledge. But that's how you usually feel once we end the episode. We've come to the <laughs> end. You can give them this jaunty salute from this swollen head of knowledge of yours. <laughs> we will talk to y'all next week. I can be found on Twitter at TC Rollins. You can be found everywhere as Rain de Grey. Yes. And right now, she, her, her head is so swollen with the knowledge, she is giving you a large jaunty salute. It's big, it's engorged, it's very jaunty. I don't see any sperm around. Over and out, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next week. Bye-bye.